We're going to make a start. Um, good afternoon, everybody, and, and welcome to the big debate. Um, we delayed. The Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining me, Harriet Vickers, for the Making the Difference podcast. And indeed, welcome to the big debate, or at least this uh, heavily edited version of a debate that happened at the International Forum on Quality and Safety in Healthcare in Gothenburg in April. What's being debated is whether or not efficiency is the enemy of innovation and improvement, whether efficiency programmes are oppressive, leaving healthcare staff no time to be creative and creating burdensome bureaucracy, or whether efficiency, innovation and improvement are all positively correlated. First up for the side proposing that efficiency is the enemy was Frank Federico, Executive Director, Institute of Healthcare Improvement. We know that even in the best design system, there's always opportunity for improvement over time. And in the spirit of improvement and innovation, we should always be engaging those who do the work to help us improve. But if in our newfound efficiency, we haven't created that space for people to do the improvement, then it's true. Efficiency is the enemy of improvement and innovation because people do not have the time to do that work. The organizations that we know that have been most successful are the ones who created that space, that slack, where the people who do the work have the time to reflect, have the time to be looking at what they're doing. Let's look at a real life example. Henry Ford and his desire to build a car economically, to build it quickly and to make it available to the public, designed designed the assembly line. That is, they developed standardized work where individuals were set up to do specific tasks in order to be efficient and build those cars. There was never any question about, can we make this better? There was never any thought about systems design. That is, the parts that we're putting onto the cars, where are they coming from? Could they be better designed? Could they be put in a different way so that it's easier to put the car together? The result was, yes, they did mass produce cars, but the quality of those cars is in question. And there was no customization allowed because you could buy any color Ford you wanted as long as it was black. Another efficiency issue might be to meet time targets. That is, we've been asked to provide services within a certain time frame. And in order to do that, many organizations try to improve their systems. They set particular processes in place, et cetera. But oftentimes, they don't look at the entire system as an opportunity for improvement. They're only focusing on the particular area that they're working on. As a result of that, again, there's no input from the people who do the work. There's no opportunity to improve because everybody's running around trying to do the best they can, and they're probably already at maximum capacity to do their work. What happens is people learn how to game the system. That is, they learn how to make it look like they've actually achieved the target, but in fact, they haven't. Again, no opportunity, no time for reflection or improvement. We flowchart processes to better understand the different steps. And we break it down to the smallest steps possible and find the best way by which we can make those steps ideal and make the system efficient. Sometimes we make so many of those standardized steps, we make it so rigid that there's absolutely no opportunity for flexibility. And the people, again, who do the work have no opportunity to improve. Notice the theme here, opportunity to improve, time and effort and efficiency not providing that. Mohsen Chowdhury, he's the National Medical Director's Clinical Fellow at the Royal College of Physicians, described workplaces he saw as the opposite of ones where efficiency rules and innovation and improvement are expelled. 
drawing on current giants in the tech world. What words do you think about when you think Apple, Google, Dyson? It's innovation, it's improvement, it's not efficiency. So Apple, they produce the iMac, the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad. Everyone followed. Why? After all, Steve Jobs lauded innovation and improvement over process. He hired the best people. He gave them room to breathe. He even allowed them to produce a thousand ideas and fail. And even if they did produce a good idea, he was still prepared to say no to them. Why? Well, that's the opposite of efficiency. But without that, Apple would not be the innovators that they are today. James Dyson, he produced and pioneered the cyclone vacuum cleaner. He didn't start with an efficiency drive. He built no less than 587 prototypes. And in doing so, he nearly bankrupt himself. But he finally came up with a version that has transformed and innovated the way we think about vacuums. Twitter, Facebook, WhatsApp, they're all born from this innovation and improvement. They allow people to breathe and develop. Otherwise, we wouldn't have these products. Mohsin then brought the arguments back from the tech giants to healthcare. Now, efficiency drives in healthcare. Does anyone have any experience of this? I'm sure you all do. Just like other industries, they start with the easy wins. Get rid of excess staff, reduce wages, reduce the number of vacancies on offer, increase scrutiny. Staff are no longer given the time or the inclination to innovate. There's no room to repeat testing. There's no room to fail because failure teaches us. The room for improvement and learning is lost. Let's look at the Scottish NHS. They recognized the need to invest and innovate and improve. They had lots of success with this, and particularly through the links with the IHI. To the extent that we mere English in our NHS are looking to learn from them and improve our own healthcare system. This didn't start with a drive for efficiency. It was the opposite. It was to invest in their staff and the resources and allow improvement. And the data that we have shows that they spend at least as much, maybe more, than other parts of the UK. They're no more efficient, but they're great all the same. I want you to all remember the last time you were asked to deliver the same or more, but you were told for less, less resources, less staff. Did that inspire you? No, it didn't. It stopped your ability to think. It stifled you. It became a focus on processes, on outcomes. Your patients deserve better. Putting efficiency before innovation improvement is oppressive. We shouldn't be creating one-size-fits-all models for our patients. Who would you rather was your boss? Henry Ford, Frederick Taylor, or Steve Jobs, Larry Page, Mark Zuckerberg? Another point the four team put across strongly was the added bureaucracy and testing that efficiency drives bring. They question the usefulness of many of the metrics that are used too. Here's Robert Hausman, Professor of Management and Organisation of Elderly Care at Erasmus University in Rotterdam. Efficiency thinking has made us become process junks. 
The Boston Consulting Group found that over the past 15 years, the amount of procedures, vertical layers, interface structures, coordination, separate bodies, decision approval systems has increased from anywhere around 50 to 350%. Focusing on efficiency creates new administrative bureaucracies and even more inefficiency. No wonder that real people feel like they can never get any real work done. So the four team argue that efficiency is the enemy of innovation and improvement because focusing on it means staff are left running around trying to do the same or more for less and they don't have any time to stop and think and try and improve the system. Focusing a bit too much on scare tactics possibly but still painting a relatable argument. Now, here's the against side. I'm going to let Jason Leach make their main points as he was the person who gave them in nice, neat, easily editable nutshells and let his teammates expand on them and counter the four side points. Jason's clinical director at Health Improvement Scotland. He started with a, I've got to say, really compelling example of how efficiency can lead to innovation. In 1950, Bill Holland won the Indianapolis 500. He won the Indianapolis 500 because he had the fastest pit stop. It took him 57 seconds to change his wheels. Four people, 57 seconds. In 2013 at the Formula One Grand Prix in Austin, Texas, the Red Bull team changed four tires in 1.937 seconds. 17 people, 1.937 seconds. It was efficient, it was innovative, and it was improved. They got better as a result of their efficiency. Why then? How does efficiency lead to innovation and improvement? The against side's first main argument is that actually the constraints of efficiency drive innovation. Constraint is crucial. So you have to have a constraint of efficiency to drive creative thinking and shifts that result in that innovation. Creativity requires an immovable challenge to start the flow of new ideas. We can't solve the problems of today with the same thinking that created them. Say you're stuck in a room and the door handle doesn't work. And you try moving the door handle up and down and you push and you... Eventually you're going to get fed up trying the conventional thing. You're going to jump out the window or you're going to phone somebody or you're going to yell. You're going to solve the problem in an entirely different way from the original problem, the door handle problem. So reverse innovation in the Western world, learning from the developing world, is exactly that. It is the constraint of efficiency driving innovation and change, and we've learned a huge amount from the developing world in some of the changes they've been forced to make because of that efficiency drive. So in the US, an artificial leg costs $10,000 and takes seven to 10 days to deliver it to the patient. Dr. Jivakate in the Prosthesis Foundation in Thailand is able to do it for $100, less than 1% of the cost, and they can deliver it in a day. It's not made of titanium, it's made of yogurt cartons. And yet it works for the people who require it. Jason countered that putting limits on people actually makes them more creative, rather than less. He next went on to argue that improvement, innovation and efficiency are actually partners and not enemies. Quality is efficient, inherently efficient, if you do it right 
the first time. So improving quality of care goes hand in hand with efficiency, getting things right the first time, quicker for patients, good for costs. Infection is the obvious example you would expect me to use. Giving people the treatment they want can create a more efficient healthcare system. Healthcare may be the only industry in the world where if you give customers what they want, you save money. Well-informed patients consume less medicine. They have less procedures. When doctors and nurses and clinical teams accurately diagnose preference, an enormous source of waste is eliminated. Patients struggling with long-term conditions, if you give them the control, they use less drug, less intervention, and less hospital and healthcare visit. Benign prostate disease is a classic example. Patients typically seek treatment because of urinary symptoms. Surgery can help those symptoms, that's what the evidence base says. But there's a trade-off in that decision-making. And this perhaps isn't where you thought this debate was going, but it's going to erectile dysfunction. They took you by surprise, didn't it? The trade-off is between urinary symptoms and erectile dysfunction. When you sit down with the men and you actually discuss that properly, 40% fewer choose surgery than would if you don't describe it properly. Efficiency leading to improvement and innovation. Quality is more efficient. Jason's final point, that not only is quality inherently efficient, but that efficiency requires quality. You have to have quality improvement in order to implement the efficiency. Health systems everywhere have a repeated commitment to provide the best in patient care, but individual innovators have done extraordinary things in their area. They too often stay as islands of excellence. When service innovations have been spread, it hardly ever happens organically or because we wish it. We require, and this room of clever people doesn't need to be told, we require method. Rolling it out is not a method. Quality improvement will ensure reliable adoption of these innovations. So one example, day surgery. So we've been trying to do day surgery since 1955 in the UK. There are publications in 1955 that say day surgery is a good thing. 55 years later, we're still trying to convince laggards that that might be a good thing. In NHS Lothian in Scotland, they've used improvement science, quality improvement, to drive that efficient intervention of day surgery. And since March 2011, NHS Scotland has achieved and sustained the same day surgery rate of 80%. And if all of, the U of Scotland did that, then the British Association of Day Surgery Targets would achieve a 57,000 reduction in bed days. So efficiency needs quality improvement. Efficiency, innovation and improvement are partners then, not enemies, going hand in hand, at least according to the against side. I thought it was only fair to let each side summarise their arguments for you. One last time, here's Frank Federico for the proponents that efficiency is the enemy of innovation and improvement. Peter Senge said that in order to go fast, we have to slow down that in order to be able to make improvements, we have to stop and understand the system. We have to build trust. We have to find ways to reflect on what we're doing. So as you think about efficiency and whether or not it's the enemy of improvement and innovation, just think about the systems we just talked about. Are these the systems you want to work in? And are they the ones that result in the processes of care that give the patients the right care at the right time all the time? And here's Jason Leach having his final word. Let me take you back to that pit stop. It is efficient, it is improved, and it is innovative. Because constraint is crucial, quality is efficient, and deficiency 
needs quality improvement. Thank you. Thank you very much. What about the result then? There was live voting in the room. It was all decided by the people, if you will. But it was all happening on a big screen and actually made terrible radio. So it's left up to me to tell you, drumroll please, that the motion lost. Around 60% of people voted against it. According to the marvellous attendees of the forum, efficiency is not the enemy of innovation and improvement. But of course, now you've heard the arguments, you can make up your own mind. That's it for this episode and actually for this series. We're going to be taking a month off, not, you know, to swan around on a beach, but planning the next bunch of Making the Difference episodes. If there's any way we can improve the quality of the podcast, see what I did there, let me know at hvickers at bmj.com. Or you can just tweet us. We're at BMJ Quality. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud or however you like to listen to make sure you don't miss season two. We'll be back soon. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. We finished bang on time, I'm pleased to tell you. Uh, thank you very much indeed for your participation. I hope you found it rewarding. And thank you to our speakers. Thank you.